Federal spending on information technology and cybersecurity has passed the $100 billion mark, that's annually, yet IT acquisition and ensuring security remain stubbornly on the high-risk list, maintained by the Government Accountability Office. Many long-standing GAO recommendations remain undone. Here with the latest, a director on GAO's IT and cybersecurity team, Kevin Walsh. Kevin, good to have you back. Thanks. Good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And one could almost make a career of watching federal IT acquisition not improve substantially <laughs> or, or cybersecurity. What are the latest findings? I mean, what does it look like here in 2021 as we contemplate the beginning of another fiscal year in a few months? Sure. So you're absolutely correct. Our high-risk area-related information security has been on the high-risk area since 1997. So at this point, more than two decades. Our related area on IT acquisitions and operations has been on the high-risk area since February of 2015. Now, in our most recent update in March, we noted that the area-related acquisitions and operations had pretty much stayed stable since our last update. But the cybersecurity of the nation had backslid a little bit, mainly related to uh, leadership commitment. We really wanted to see a director in place at the office of the national cyber director. And to the administration credit, uh, the president announced his intended nominee in April, but we still want someone in that position. Sure. And uh, let's go to the acquisition side of this for a moment, because since 1997, there have been at least three major landmark reform pieces of legislation. So it's not like Congress has been listening to the GAO, its own GAO, when it comes to trying to get this right. And now we have the proper authorities, at least in statute, for who should do what in the acquisition chain. You've got this cooperation with CIOs and CFOs and program people and all of this FATARA. So what is the essential issue, do you think, for the government that uh, these acquisitions seem to take so long engender so many protests and never quite get the government totally modernized. So there's no doubt in my mind that we're getting better at this, Tom. IT capabilities are improving. You know, you can see the vast growth in just how pervasive IT is across the board in everything that we do, both personally and as a government. But as it has become more complex, it also gets harder. So you noted correctly that Congress has taken several swings at improving IT acquisitions and operations, most recently FATARA. And the oversight that Congress has provided to FATARA is bar none, probably some of the best oversight that's going on right now. But we still do need to make progress. Agencies need to fully implement FATARA. There are many specific provisions of FATARA that they have not fully implemented. And it's going to be all the more important with the billion dollars that the Technology Modernization Fund just recently received. So we're looking forward to helping agencies and the administration as they move forward to address this area. And we'll get to those scores in a moment. We should remind people FATARA stands for Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act, and it does require periodic reports to Congress. You mentioned some of the provisions of FATARA have not been fully implemented. What couple of them are the least implemented by the most agencies? Back in 2018, we made a, a report listing, I believe, about 35 different responsibilities that CIOs were required to do by law. And we found that agencies had gaps in virtually all of them. So these are things like making sure that your CIO is involved in data center acquisitions and operations, uh, IT strategic planning, workforce planning and budgeting, investment management. There's There's a whole raft of them. So since that report was issued, we have only had 
three of the 24 agencies fully close and fully address those responsibilities for the CIOs. In particular, probably the most notable is having a CIO report directly to the agency head. If you don't have a CIO with direct access to the agency head, that makes it much harder to control and reform and improve your information technology. And those three agencies with the gold stars are? The General Services Administration, the Social Security Administration, and USAID. Interesting. None of the big cabinet-level ones. As you might expect, it takes a a lot to move the bigger agencies. The more federated an agency is, the harder it is to get all the players in the room at the same time. So these three agencies, you're, you're absolutely right and astute in observing that these are not the big ones but they are monolithic. They don't have many components to to really work with or or shift the needle on. We're speaking with Kevin Walsh. He's a director on the IT and cybersecurity team at the Government Accountability Office. And the most recent FATARA scorecards, they're just out, and there's been a statement from the committee that looks at these things. What's the highlight there, and what should the takeaway be from the latest scores? Sure. So this was a update that the committee released in December, and they just recently held the hearing on this past Friday. The basic gist of it is there were two major changes that the committee had made to their scorecard. They had retired the area related to agencies' efforts to manage their software licenses. They retired it because all the agencies were getting an A, so mission accomplished, well done. But with that sunset, they also added a new area related to agencies' transition to the EIS telecommunications contracts. And that's particularly important because the last time the government tried something similar back in 2007 onto the networks contracts, it was delivered late and rife with missed opportunities for cost savings. So really glad to have their attention on that matter. Yeah, because EIS is more than just switching phone carriers. I mean, it's really a panoply of technology opportunities to do that modernization feat. Entirely correct. It is basically the telecommunications and internet infrastructure behind every single agency. So it is crucially important to have it done right. And what are your latest recommendations then with this topic still being on the latest list of high-risk items? So the EIS-related recommendations, we issued a report, I believe, in late 2020 on the topic, and we made 25 recommendations to five agencies to fully implement the best practices that we had identified. So this wasn't a fully cross-cutting report that we looked at, uh, EIS, back in back in 2020, but we do think that this is critically important to have the government looking at in more and more depth. And turning to the cybersecurity side, you are asking the government to enhance the federal response to cyber incidents. And since the July 2019 report on that, the cyber incidents have gotten more frequent and in many ways more comprehensive, to put it kindly, in the number of agencies they affect. You're entirely correct. In our recent statement, we reiterated four major challenges facing the nation. We need to have a comprehensive cybersecurity strategy, secure our systems and information, protect critical infrastructure, and protect privacy and sensitive data. But as you note, there have been a multitude of significant cyber threats that we have faced recently, most notably perhaps the solar winds breach that was noted several months ago. But since then, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, has issued a number of emergency directives about various backdoors. Even last month, there was a a new emergency directive related to Microsoft's Exchange server, which is basically behind your emails, inboxes, and calendars that was being actively exploited. So this is continuing to be a source of headaches for our IT professionals, but also critically important to pay attention to. 
And so now GAO seems to be saying that, or you, you seem to be saying that with leadership at the White House level reestablished on cybersecurity, maybe that will kind of drive the agencies to make sure they're organized to what the contemporary threats really are. You're entirely correct. Basically, we had no real central coordination authority until recently. In January 21, uh, so earlier this year, Congress enacted a statute establishing the Office of the National Cyber Director. And so the administration has just announced their intended nominee to head that office, and hopefully that central coordination and core really, really helps energize that high-risk area. And this is probably a little bit outside of the report area, but one debate that's never really been decided, and maybe it will be now in the next couple of years, is what a proper response should be to nation-state actors and non-nation-state actors that are attacking the United States on behalf of nation-states. That's a growing area, private companies that do the dirty work of bad leaders that are, are you know, rivals around the world. And you know, do we shoot them back and knock out their networks, or do we simply defend ours or some range of activities in between? It seems like that one needs to be settled also. So you see several times in recent uh, news briefs from the administration that they talk about the actions that they're taking publicly as well as non-public actions. So can't speculate about what the government's doing behind closed doors to protect our infrastructure. And this solar winds breach is even more complicated because the way that the bad actors in this case got into our networks was not from foreign networks. They used American corporations basically to hide or to go into you know stealth mode to get into the government and into into solar winds. So it's even harder to sniff out issues when they're using our own infrastructure and internet basically companies against us. And the supply chain itself, that's kind of the next frontier here, even though there's been a lot of work already in the CMMC program and other policies for supply chain security. The government is not totally mature on that issue yet either, is it? Absolutely. Spot on again. We had a recent report looking at seven key best practices in supply chain risk management. Basically, do you have executive oversight? some sort of strategy? Do you have a process to identify your own supply chains? Do you have a process to assess the risks to your supply chains? As well as a few more. And we found that of the 23 civilian CFO Act agencies that we looked at, nobody had done a good job across the board. In fact, the vast majority of best practices that we found agencies really hadn't done it all. The, the one strategy area that was done the most was there were five agencies that had established executive oversight, meaning there were 18 agencies that had not. So very disappointing. Yeah. So the old idea of trust but verify, we're pretty good on the trust side of suppliers, but so far not so much on the verify side. Indeed. And in many cases, we don't even know what our supply chains are. So it's hard to protect what you don't know. Kevin Walsh is a director on the IT and cybersecurity team at the Government Accountability Office. We could go on for hours, but we'll have you back. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Always a pleasure. We'll post this interview together with a link to that latest report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the 
conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, My father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, He joined the federal government in the 1960s. John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service 
which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 